afternoon, hello, and welcome to Why the Last Podcast. I am Jackie at EasyTreasy on Twitter.com, and I am here with my compadres, Graham here. Hey, what's up? And Miss Lacey. Hey, everybody. And Mr. Michael. Hello. And today we are discussing episode eight of Why the Last Man. Ready? Aim fire. This is a wild episode because so much happens in literally one location. I think there's maybe a mile radius outside of where all the action happens here. And it's super eventful. We're almost entirely focusing on the Daughters of the Amazon crew, all at what I have started to call the Price Max Compound, which is sort of a uh, Costco analog. Is that? <laughs> I mean, we could call it an Amazon warehouse. Yeah, essentially. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a good. I like that. And just like Amazon, there might be somebody outside the automatic doors waiting to shoot you. You never know. So <laughs> it's perfect. Well, when we get started today, um, the girls are shooting guns. They are training with firearms. With Miss Roxanne kind of walking back and forth, inspecting everybody's stance, telling them, hey, look at you. You got your foot down like a redwood. Look at you. Um, and she's trying to get Hero to train with firearms. And Hero's warming up to it, but our boy Sam, he doesn't like it. Sam can see things pretty clearly, right? Sam has a, like a fairly clear picture of what's going on, and he doesn't Absolutely. like it. Yeah. Well, and he tries to explain that he's uncomfortable with firearms, and Roxanne probably wouldn't care if she wasn't obviously trying to drive a wedge between these two. So she uses this as just another chance to get in there and push him apart. Right. And yeah. also to reinforce how, how normal the activity is for everyone else in the cult. It's fun. They're having fun. And we saw a little bit of how Nora feels about this at the beginning of the series. If you remember when she was before the world ended, she was very uncomfortable around guns. So you can find Nora a little bit off having a conversation with um, Athena, I believe the Amazon's name is. Nora and Athena are talking and she finds out that she's been voted off the island. They don't want her there anymore. So she confronts Roxanne and Roxanne refuses to budge. We're not, we don't have room for you. You got to go. She has a total panic attack as she realizes she's got to find somewhere else to go. Yeah. Nora is not her people, right? That's what she says. You're not our people. And I love that her response is like, um, because I loved my husband and I'm not 22 years old. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's interesting too, because like, as we're going to find out, Roxanne, she just wants, like, she wants a place to be accepted or maybe not so much the place, but the people, right? She wants the people around her to be accepted because she has this place, but no one there to like view her in the way that she wants to be viewed. But yeah, it's, it's interesting watching her and Nora butt heads. Absolutely. Now, Nora, I think, is used to getting her way. And throughout the whole apocalypse situation, she hasn't been having very good luck with all that. So she's struggling. My girl, Nora, having a hard time. This is the first of what ends up being many flashback scenes back and forth and back and forth in time, revealing more and more about our girl, Roxanne. In this first flashback, we see her at a meeting with the Daughters of the Amazon. Before they were known as Daughters of the Amazon, they were 
terrified domestic violence survivors hunkering in a group home after the world had ended. Um, and after a time lapse within this flashback, we see the girls sitting at Price Max, where Roxanne is hosting one of her impromptu group therapy chats to try and win them to her compound. The Amazons meet for group therapy, as they are wont to do. We see now that this is a part of their routine brought from the group home. And Roxanne forces Hero to speak up for everyone in the group, plumbing for weaknesses that can be exploited to win her loyalty. Now, was it just me or was Hero resisting this effort at first? Oh, she was definitely resisting, I thought. I think that it made her really uncomfortable to talk about it um, because, you know, I don't think that she wants to, especially with Yorick, I don't think that she wants to admit that there's anything wrong with her relationship with Yorick. Especially because after somebody's dead, we tend to lionize them a little bit. We don't think about all the ways that we hated them. We think about how much we miss and love them, you know? Um, yeah. So it was, there clearly were issues the more the girls push her. And the more certain she is, um, the more it seems to irritate them. What do they keep saying? Interrogate that which is so fucking frustrating. <laughs> so annoying. It's, oh. it's totally like someone just like hijacking like things that they hear in therapy. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, like interrogate that or elaborate on that. Or which let's is another way that. of saying, I don't believe you. You're not being right. honest with me. No, fuck you. I am being honest with you. It's concern trolling at its finest, isn't it? Yeah. And I think it really comes out in that too. Like whenever you know, she was talking about Yorick being funny and Roxanne is like, I think you're funny. And then all the other girls are like, I think you're funny. I was like, oh my God. Please yes. Stop. I'm giddy just thinking about that moment because the way they swapped from one perspective to another, interrogate that. I think you're funny. I think you're funny. It's just. Yeah. You're like just watching the psychology of a cult, like in development. Right. And it's so intense. Oh. Yeah. It's very intense. A lot of manipulation. And Hero is ripe for that right now, isn't she? Oh, yeah. I really I really like that they're showing this because in the comic, we don't really see that. We see like little hints of it later on, like we'll, like the, the damage left behind, I guess, um, later for Hero. We see that, but we don't really see how she gets indoctrinated into it. So I really like that we're like, we're exploring that. You know, we're exploring the conflict that she had with her family pre-event. Um, you know, it, it makes us, I think, understand and feel for her more as she slowly descends into this cult. That's interesting. In the comic, it kind of went from she's joined the Amazon to she is an Amazon. You didn't really get to see the process of how that happened. It was, yeah, it was more so like you don't even see her join. She's just in it. Like when you're reading the comic, it goes from you see Hero witnessing her boyfriend die and that's completely changed in the show and then she is just a part of the amazons wow she's just in it that's the next time you see her it's it's because the comic is very york centric it's very much centered on york and like what so some characters like jennifer brown or hero brown they don't get as much time because ultimately the comic's about york so i like that the show has kind of made it a little more ensemble -y, you know like we're actually getting more in depth with Jennifer and Hero. And this episode's really just all about Hero's situation and what's going on. So Hero eventually starts to crack under all this pressure. You can see it slowly happening. And um, 
it's another brick in this wall of her inevitable induction into this cult. We can see it happening. Sam and Nora are having a little bit of a tip. I don't think I've ever seen them interact at all before this. This was interesting. Nora accuses Sam of disliking her because of her career before the apocalypse. And Sam had a really interesting response to this, too. He said, um, not everything is about me being trans. Yeah, you did work for a transphobe, and I won't forget that. But that's not what this is about. I just don't fucking like you. I don't trust you. And that's what it is. I love that scene because also she brings up the sports thing. Mm-hmm. And Sam just like, do I look like someone who plays sports, basically? It's like, you know nothing about me other than I'm trans. That's like the only thing that you know about me. Yeah. Thanks for trying to use me. Yeah. Yeah. He literally, what does he say when he walks away from her? He says, I didn't even play sports. If you listened to me at all, you would know that. Exactly. And what she says something else. Um, she said something that was, I think, really aloof. Like during that conversation, she says, you didn't get to play sports with your friends, which I think is like really essentializing the issue of the whole the whole situation anyways. Like, right. And he makes a comment about that, too. He's like, oh, OK. As if that was the one difficulty of the trans experience was that you don't get to play on certain sports teams. Like, fuck you, dude. <laughs> fuck yeah. you. <laughs> But it also, you know, I think that you get to see that Sam really doesn't trust her. And I don't think that he's wrong not to trust her because she is like only in it to take care of herself and Mac. Like she's not, she doesn't really care what happens to Hero and Sam. No, she just knows she needs numbers. Yeah. That's all it is. And she's trying to win allies away from Roxanne because it's the only way that she sees herself surviving in any capacity right now. Yeah, so it's um her character is like being I think fleshed out really interestingly because she I think was operating in that way before all of this happened too. Like if yeah. you see her in her political life as well, it seems like it was all about just like gaining the next step or the next stepping stone to just be more powerful so then, you know, you can insulate yourself from like the troubles of the world, which yes. is I think that she is attempting to do now. Right. Oh, that's, that's interesting you say that, because that's the only way someone like her could exist in this world that we live in, keeping the job and the opinions and the beliefs that you have is by insulating yourself from everything that goes on that way. Yeah, I think it's notable that Nora, uh, like I said in the first episode, um, the first thing we see about her, she's just lying to the press. Um, that's like our introduction to Nora is just her plainly lying. Um and the president kind of knowing better and kind of knowing what was up with her and that they're kind of trying to reestablish that relationship to some degree with, uh, uh, with Missy Pyle. Roxanne, right? Roxanne. Yeah. Sorry. Speaking of Sam goes back to hero and tries to convince her to leave with him, but it's too late. Missy Pyle, AKA Roxanne has already destroyed their trust for each other. They, they have a number of, disagreements um hero at one point accuses sam of wanting to be with kelsey the girl who hasn't been allowed to speak to him for several days now (laughs) yeah and it struck me how hero will do and say anything to avoid having to take responsibility for her own behavior sam had just confronted her saying you promised me this is one stop on our journey to go see your mother who can help me get the medicine i need who can help you why, why are we still here? Why can't you keep one goddamn promise? 
And the second that she has a moment where she might accept responsibility, the Amazons step in and it's too late. Sam finally saying something and standing up for himself because I was very excited when that happened. <laughs> I mean, that's the first time that we've really heard him like raise his voice and get like, I think intense, but that's exactly what Roxanne wants, right? Like she wants it to get to that place. Like she is eating it up that that is happening, I think, because she wants to get rid of him. She doesn't want him around. It's oh. the, it's, it's the, he's basically playing into this archetype that she needs him to be in order to show Hero and the other women like, Oh, look, you know, this is what men do. Right. You know, this is, you know, he's, he's no good for any of us. He needs to just go. You know, he doesn't care about any of us. You know, that sort of that sort of thing. Like, it's just playing into that what she normally does on a regular basis, which pulls men from these women's lives and, like, finds things to basically pull apart to further drive her point. But it's and all that's done... And protection for them, because those men are all dead, but because she right, wants right. to win their loyalty. It's so exactly. ugly. Mm. It's for her. Yeah. It's not for them. It's for her. Making Sam the boogeyman, literally. Yeah. And the way um, Elliot Fletcher, who plays Sam, the way he played that scene made me weep um, because he's angry and he has every right to be. And like Lacey said, we've been waiting for this moment for him to stand up for himself and tell Hero to fuck off. Um, but he played it with that righteous anger with a tremble in it, too. You could see the adrenaline in him. It was breaking his heart to have to say this to this person that he loves so much, just amazingly done my big witch hat off to you sir mr elliot he's great you know he he plays that scene so well like that is like what you want right because he he doesn't play it flat he plays it with like multiple layers there and like you said like it's breaking his heart to do this he doesn't want to do this it really hurts him but it, he feels like it's inevitable it's not the kind of righteous anger that the amazons feel towards yeah. anyone and everyone that kind of all-encompassing blind ideological hatred no it's it's anger and fear for someone who you love who won't get their fucking shit together and that's that's right before he goes because he sneaks out right like that that's night. his next move is, yeah yep. he sneaks out that night and he has uh i think he has like a few bottles of testosterone with him just uh, enough to last him yeah he doesn't take all of it I wish he would have. Though. <laughs> he yeah, should have. Right? And maybe he would have. Maybe he would have if he knew that Roxanne was going to confront him on his way out the door. Because she sneaks right. around the corner and says, "Well, I knew you'd been stealing, but I didn't know you were going to abandon us." Oh my gosh, like that was. Oh, I was so worried too when he showed up. I was like, "Oh my god!" Because I don't know if we talked about it, but at the very beginning of the episode, we see that Roxanne is the one who shot Kate. Yes. Yes. Thank you. I forgot to mention that in the cold yes. open. That's true. Yep. Ooh. Yeah. It wasn't, it was, and this is where like this, we're going to see this throughout the episode, but Roxanne has a narrative that she is pushed. Like she, you know, like, Oh, there's these boogeymen basically that are going to get you, you know? And she's just basically manipulating these women who she recognizes like, Oh yeah, this is like easy prey. I can like totally like convince them. That like there are these boogeymen out to get them, and I'm here to protect them. Well, and that was um, you hear the girls talking about their belief that not all the men are dead, which has some extra fear in it. If you're a domestic violence survivor, 
And along right. with uh, the deception of Roxanne, they truly believe that they are being surrounded and could any day now be uh, raped and dismembered by some wild, monstrous men who they've been talking about every single day and discussing how cruel and awful they are. It's disgusting. Yeah, for how much they really do not want to to deal with men at all, that is the only thing that they talk about, it seems like. Just, oh. like, constantly, constantly therapy sessions, like, everything that they do. Oh, was that element of the Amazons ever discussed, how they originated, how the the band started um no well, I don't... we get like we get like little vignettes right mike like we get some vignettes yeah. and we have that really fun story about victoria um beating bobby fisher behind closed doors and stuff which i think is just so hilarious in a I chess game right it. bobby fisher was a chess player yeah, yeah I think although it, was... it would be funnier if it was something that wasn't chess <laughs> like mma <laughs> yeah i beat bobby fisher in mma bitch <laughs> went down Oh man. Um, yeah. Yeah. Lacey is correct. We get little vignettes, but not in this much detail and not in this way. This is new. The writers are really doing a good job of fleshing out the female perspective and Vaughn to his credit wrote Yorick and wrote what he understood. You know, he wrote a lot of the men's part of the story and maybe that's what's so exciting about this production crew is that they're taking the opportunity to fulfill, not just, uh, the female voices, but the trans voices, the everyone, you know, it's exciting. Yeah. yeah. And it's like such a variety of like crew members, right? We have so many women and, and trans people like working on the show. And so it's like, we're getting all new perspectives of all these characters. And like, I think new, um, you know, storylines that we're going to get to delve into that are like really fun and I think for comic fans, you know, it's like brand new for us too. So we also are enjoying it in a way that even though we read the comics, it's like this is a lot of this is new. And inventive. It's brilliant combining characters to make them more comprehensive to uh, save yourself exposition in the long run. It's really well done. Yeah. Yeah. I I also want to point out too, like the, uh, like there are people I know who ha didn't even know that it's based on a comic and they've just heard about the show got into it and they're loving it um and they have no no experience with comics they've never even heard of the comic so i think that's really like a testament to the show that Absolutely. they're able to like make it enjoyable to anybody i mean jackie here she hasn't read the comic although she she's tempted to do so she hasn't read it and she's enjoying the show and you know i think that's it, it's well done to everyone involved like that if you can like please both parties i think you're doing something right wakes up to find Sam gone um, and she's in his bunk sobbing um, when Roxanne approaches and she puts down his leftover blanket and tries to make it seem like she's not missing him but she's actually just trying to think of a logical way to use the resources he left behind which is so obnoxious and hero and perfect and Roxanne senses her vulnerability and moves in to take his spot. She gets up there and hugs her, talks about a funny but abusive ex-husband named Eddie. 
which I'm hoping we hear more about this Eddie character because it could go either way. He could be an absolute monster like some of the other men that we learn about in Roxanne's life later on, or he could have been a very nice guy that she shot. Who knows? We'll find out. But in closing, she says men aren't good at staying, which is fucking hilarious considering the circumstances. Yeah, absolutely. So to cheer Hero up, the Amazons decide to throw a fuck em party. A he-doesn't-get-to-tell-me-what-to-do party. What is it? It's a I-don't-care party. What is it? A, a I-don't-have-any-feelings party. <laughs> so they burn things and drink. <laughs> you it's know. Like you're, you're better off, basically. Yeah. Like, yeah, You're better off without them. Exactly. It is funny that the Amazons can't pass the Bechdel test because they can't stop fucking talking about men. <laughs> <laughs> there is a beautiful irony in that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. So, like, whenever someone goes to talk about something else, no, 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 hold on a second. We have to talk about another guy, okay? Hold on, yeah. hold on. <laughs> I can wait. So you feel good about yourself, but how do you feel about the way your dad treated you when you didn't pass your math test when you were in fourth grade? That didn't make you feel good, did it? No, <laughs> I didn't think so. Something, something else that's worth noting here is that, so throughout the episode, we do get flashbacks, and there's a flashback that happens just before this where we see Roxanne inside the price max, basically trying to clean it up on her own. Yes. And then she follows a horse to, uh, we've already mentioned this, the group home where these women live, they're domestic violence survivors. And so that sort of plants the seed for Roxanne. That's Are they like, still survivors? If it's just the new domestic violence is a woman who's in charge of all of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. It depends on how long they live. Whether they're survivors or not, I suppose. Yeah. Well, that's part of the whole Amazon thing, too, is they do that mock burial and mock baptism to be reborn as a whole new individual. She doesn't want or care about who they are as people or as survivors. She wants them as foot soldiers. But during the fuck'em party, there is a, a short and telling moment for my girl, Nora, um... Mackenzie is dancing with the girls and having fun. And Nora says, come here, come here. And you can, she's putting on her happy voice, which is not Nora's personality at all. And she's, she's trying to appear warm and happy and normal for Mackenzie's sake, saying, hey, we should get out of here, huh? We, we shouldn't stay here. This place sucks. Let's go. And Mackenzie's like, what? I'm having fun with my friends. You know, leave me alone. Um, and Nora realizes that uh, she's not going to be able to run away from this. She's right. going to have to figure out something here. That's the moment that she makes her plan. As everyone drunkenly falls asleep and quiet settles over the compound, my fire-haired Nora girl grabs a bottle of butane and starts dripping it along all over the place, to the foodstuffs, to the bunks, to everywhere, and lights the fucking place on fire. The way this was shot was so fucking beautiful. She was like a, a goddess of destruction. I loved it so much. Oh, I, I think, uh, you know, you put Nora in a corner. She's going to find her way out of it. She has so far, right? So oh, yeah. it's interesting yeah. to watch watch this unfold. Like, okay, Mac, you know, like Mac can't accept this. And Mac also like immediately blames her. Like, what did you do? Which I thought was an interesting choice. Oh, so, yeah, she said 
what did Max say? She said, Daddy would have let me stay. Um, yeah. Boom. <laughs> uh, he exactly. wouldn't. You can ask him right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you could see how much that hurt Nora. And uh, she said, well, he's not here. You're stuck with me. And that, in a nutshell, really encapsulates what's a, what the problem between Mackenzie and Nora is that they aren't close. They aren't a, a tough mother-daughter team. Well, and I think you could see that too, right? Like in the um, earlier episodes, I don't remember which episode, but um, Mac wakes up with a nightmare and she calls for her dad. She doesn't call for her mom. So they must have been very close. And I think that they probably had like a different relationship. I'm not sure what was going on, but it doesn't seem like Nora was around very much. I'm going to bet career mommy, that sort of thing. There's also that scene where um, Nora wants to leave and, you know, Mac is like, no, we can't leave behind like my brother or my, or my dad. Like we have to bury them. We can't leave them this way. Like she's the one who really puts her foot down and makes her mom stay to take care of it. Well, feeling like I was being manipulated and separated from my kid would probably make me an evil arsonist too. So I really am just (laughs) feeling, I'm feeling for Nora. Right after the fire is set, we have another one of our Roxanne flashbacks. And this one seems a little disjointed at this point in the episode. You have to wait a little bit for it all to fall into context because she's just pushing a squad car into a lake. And we don't get a real clear view, but there's some bodies in there. There's some corpses in that car. So she's shoving the whole squad car in there. And we're asking ourselves, with our knowledge of Roxanne, was that her partner? You know, as a police officer, was that, were those cops she knew? Is this a, a, a burial at sea? What happened here? You know, um, and then another disjointed scene later, she's lying in the grass and listening to singing just maybe a half mile away where the um, survivor's home is. The girls are just singing and laughing and having a happy life and she lifts her gun to the sky and starts firing off shots. Just so funny to see her go from happily enjoying the quiet and the sound of it, wanting, desiring to be part of it, and knowing that the only way that she could accomplish that, outside of directly asking them, which didn't seem to work, was by terrifying them into it. Yeah, she's terrorizing them in the same way that like men have terrorized them in the past. It's <gasps> The irony there is very interesting. Holy shit, Mike. I hadn't put that together, but that's exactly where she got that. She's just using the same pattern of terrorism that she'd understood. We find Sam, our beloved Sam, all by his lonesome. He finds himself in elementary school with a busted window, so he lets himself in. Starts poking around, and he's drawn, of course, to the music room, because he's our musical, our musical baby. He's playing the piano, and is surprised by Mrs. Blackwell, who is a principal and who was a principal, um, who is maintaining the school, hoping to someday fill it with children again, which is so fucking sad. Yeah. This is a a nice moment. I feel like for Sam too, because 
I mean, it's a little sad. It's it's bittersweet because you want Hero and Sam to stick together, but you know that he's going to be better off on his own. She has some growing up to do. Yeah. She she ha- she's got a lot going on. I mean, <laughs> going on. Um, but, you know, I think that this is like you know this is the beginning of seeing Sam get to relax a little bit, be more in his element, and you can tell that he's scared when Mrs. Blackwell shows up, and he has every reason to be because it hasn't been very easy for him. <laughs> no. Well, who knows if this is another human being who doesn't want to kill or eat him? Will they be accepting of his identity? which has to be a whole other nightmare post-apocalypse. Like, even if, if this is an ally, are they the right kind? Are they an ally ally or just someone who doesn't want to murder me? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Miss Blackwell makes a joke. Play it again, Sam. Was that Casablanca? Is that where that's from? I don't think it's said in the movie, but yeah. Ivy, just <laughs> go ahead and put, like, type in sounds and then, like, put the clip from the movie in. Okay. Play it one, Sam. For all time's sake. I don't know what you mean, Miss Elson. Play it, Sam. Yep. As we, as we learn, is it from Casablanca? Show is. I'm a fucking Damn. But he says it verbatim, play it again, Sam? It says, I think Ingrid Bergman says it. Play it, Sam, is what yeah. they're saying. Oh, play it, It's Sam. one of those, uh, okay, it's one of those quotes that people like don't quote it correctly. Yeah, Love it's like elementary, my dear Watson. It's, it's, <laughs> Sherlock Holmes never says that. He says it's elementary several times, but he never says elementary, my dear Watson. It's the same with uh, Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, uh, which I have to name drop because I have a tattoo of Star Wars. It's my curse to bear, but Vader never... (laughs) Uh, On my arm. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But Vader never says like... (laughs) He never says like, Luke, I am your father. He just says like, no, I am your father. Yeah. so yeah, sorry, I, de- I derailed our Why the Last Man podcast to talk about Star Wars. No, that's good. If you're listening and you can think of any other famous misattributed quotes, please share with us because we have a collection going here. This is going good. Play it again, Sam. Play it, Sam. Fighting Tears of Happiness. Again, another beautiful scene played by Elliot Fletcher. He's happy to be playing for somebody. He is totally in his element here. He's found himself a safe place with someone who honors the same things he honors, who loves the same things he loves, but he's not there with Hero. Right. There's that bittersweetness, like Lacey said. Yeah, what does he say whenever they finish his scene up? Um, he's playing it and she's singing and he says, fuck me. Because <laughs> it's like, yeah. you know, it's a little easier, but it's still like, it's it's rough. It's been a rough couple of days for Sam. It is, it's, it is very heartbreaking to see. Back at the Price Max, Nora wanders the wreckage of the compound, listening to the Amazons bicker. Nora's fight has, or Nora's fire, rather, has disrupted things. The girls are disagreeing with each other, fighting over resources. Who knows what's even uh, usable now? Nora takes a seat with Hero and tries to gain an ally, which plays out really funnily. <laughs> she starts saying, my mother and I, we never got along. And Hero turns to her bleary and goes, what the fuck are you talking about? And that's why she's my favorite character. She's a terrible human being. But I love her so much. And Nora says, all right. She goes to the lake and stashes a gun into her little bug out bag that she's been hiding. When what looks like a broken pallet 
floats by with the biggest turkey vulture I've ever seen in my entire life. He's up there like... Was it the make- lights? Was it the lights from the top of the car? Yeah. That's yeah. what she spots. Yeah. Yeah, right? Okay, that's what it was. All right. Thank you. It was, it was very big. Yeah, like you see the lights from the cop car like float by. That's what got her attention. Okay, so she goes to the the wreckage of the car and sees corpses. Um, we don't really know what inspired her to wade waist deep into the water and start digging around with the corpses, maybe looking to fill out her bug out bag. But she finds something that excites her very much. We don't get to see it yet at this point in the episode, but um, it's changing everything. Now, here we are at another flashback. And uh, Law and Order superfan Roxanne is tucked into a little makeshift bunk in the Price Max. True crime, baby. That's uh, right. There's a specific person that they're like that that Roxanne like captures, and that's totally like within her character. Like I'm like, yep, that's her. I know twenty of them. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. And it's a very specific type of abused woman, too. I hate to make this, like, personal for anyone who identifies with the, the true crime fan, because I have a bit of that in me myself. But um, there's something that attracts you to true crime stories if you've seen any kind of horror, I think. you got to be a little twisted. It takes a twisted mind. It does. So she's there in her little bunk when two women run in shooting at each other. Uh, Roxanne hides until they both shoot each other, which doesn't sound like Detective Roxanne that we know. It's a very strange reaction for somebody who's so well-trained, right? But that was just interesting. Time lapses in within this flashback, and we see Roxanne becoming very good at shooting, spending entire days seated in a Price Max lawn chair waiting for human beings to past the store so she can murder them it's yeah it's the kill montage it's the get better shooting montage i I love the kill montage in that too i love when she's like drinking her coffee and she's got a smile on her face i'm like wow and you can see she's got like a full costco outfit on she's got the fishing hat she's got the fishing vest the thermos the lawn chair she has made herself an entire life from this store and she probably got the ammo, honestly, too, because that was my question. I'm thinking those two girls that came in, they didn't have enough ammo for her to kill everything that moves. So <laughs> I'm going to call it they sell ammo at that place. It's a Walmart situation. So she's just murdering people, getting real good at it. And like you said, she's enjoying it. It's the best sport she's had in a long time. Roxanne rifles through the wreckage, trying to see what's usable and what's not. As Nora approaches with an iron ultimatum. Roxanne will either allow Nora into the inner circle or be exposed for who she really is. And then we get our total flashback to see who exactly Roxanne was. Roxanne was an unhappy Price Max employee whose life was constantly hampered by awful men. A monster ex-husband, rapey co-workers, disinterested boss, and apathetic corporate leadership. She was a cancer survivor with one boob and no future and no respect. So she escapes in crime TV and online forums. And yeah. There's a really interesting uh, way that they sort of illustrate like she gets in trouble basically for stealing a bargain bin DVD 
and she's punished the same way as a, a co-worker who is like being inappropriate with his uh, co-workers. Yes. And it's just very interesting to see like how and her her manager's eyes, it's the same thing. It was yeah. almost cartoonish the way it was played out, but it's absolutely not. It's It's not unheard of. Yeah, in my experience in jobs, I think that that is like actually reasonable. It's a um, it's a worse offense to steal like a ten dollar item from your company than it is to uh, you know harass your coworkers. Oh, the idea that Mister Grabass would be called out at all, let alone in front of the person who reported him, is absurd. It just it wouldn't fucking happen. Yeah, and like let's be real, like. I totally am watching this situation and I see it like I I see it and I'm like, it makes so much sense why a woman in this position would look at this and be like, men, men, men suck. Yeah. I hate them. Yeah. This is awful. (laughs) I I don't think that it gives her, (laughs) I don't think that it gives her and she shouldn't be condoned for what she's doing with these women now because you know, I mean, I think that we have plenty of men in our lives that are not like that, and I think it's a horrible, horrible decision in any any arena to generalize people, right? Obviously, yeah. but this is like a serious issue, and it does make sense, you know, like why Roxanne is the way that she is after seeing something like that. Because I think anybody would be pissed off. Like he calls that guy a kid, and he's thirty years old, and he's like messing around with a teenager. A teenager, yeah. Absolutely like, fucking disgusting. How could a how could a like a boss like look at that and be like, oh yeah, that's no big deal, but you stealing like Law and Order SVU season ten? Yeah, yeah, we're getting rid of you. No, you've no. been forever. Tell me, Mister Grabass is such an amazing employee that it's worth it, and that's. Mm. Oh my god! And when he told her to get her ass to work, I was like, I'm gonna kill him. he even like gets mad at her that it's like law and order svu he's just like why don't you just turn on the tv it's playing 24 7 i love that that's not the point she loves it because he's like why are you annoying me by stealing this like you've annoyed me he doesn't really care about the theft right no it was just one way to avoid dealing with the responsibility of actually having to hold his employees responsible and he's fine talking down to her but not to grab ass I feel like it's more like it's more of like um, an indictment of capitalism than it is of like men, that whole situation. Right. Yes. Like it seems like this is this is the world that we live in and it um, allows things like this to happen in our workplaces, which is messed up and terrible. Yeah. But it's not really about the the men. Like there are probably women that she works with who are shitty, too. Oh, Yeah. Really, well, just Roxanne is any indication. Yeah, I'm sure there's plenty of shitty people, but yeah. you're right because the corporate doesn't care about the grab ass. That doesn't cost them anything. They no. care about the breakage. They care about the missing DVD from the bargain bin. Yeah, until they, it hits their bottom line, they don't give a fuck. Right, and that's that's it. And like that's that's why the show is really nuanced. Like I really appreciate that the show is it's saying like, okay, yeah, there's multiple POVs here, and. Really, truly, like, again, I I, find, I think I've said this a bunch, but, like, I love that when when this happens, the world doesn't become, like, a paradise. You know, it's not, like, the show is taking a very nuanced approach. I, I think there's also an implication, and it was never uh, through words, but I mostly got it through tone, that because Roxanne was basically missing a, uh, uh, missing one of her breasts, 
that that was like in the the boss's eye that's why she's mad about the grab ass is because she doesn't feel uh sexually viable and there's definitely that tone in the boss's voice of like the only reason you care about this is because you wish it was you like yep if that you say past your prime oh yeah yeah Yeah. i think that's rolled in there he calls her the bell of the ball, right? He's like, you used to be the bell of the ball. Um, but I really like that you brought that up, Grim, because I think that you learned so much about Roxanne, like in this very short scene. Like Absolutely. it's a very short scene. You put it against the whole show and it's like, it's probably the most pivotal scene in the the whole episode, right? right. So much context. Absolutely. You just learned so much about who she is where she's coming from and why she's doing what she's doing. You know, like it, it just starts connecting all those dots for you. Um, and a couple episodes earlier, she mentions a, a, a forum online where she and other breast cancer survivors talked about being the daughters of the Amazon, which seems like such a tiny detail and nothing that someone would really like take into their being. But if your whole life is that shitty and you're so disrespected and so unloved, that online forum is your world. You know, that's, that's your new identity. That's how you salvage yourself from the wreckage of your life. You can just see it happening. And there's um there's something very interesting too about Roxanne, who um obviously has had a couple shitty years from what it seems. Like her husband leaves her, she gets cancer. She's working as what, like a assistant manager in like a shitty store where like, you know, corporations sucks yep. for those guys. Um She's in debt from the cancer too. Yeah, they mentioned yeah. that that she's there. He's like, "Why don't you just buy it? It's twenty bucks." And she's like, "I'm paying off my cancer treatment." And so it's just like that whole like I hate to take it back to the the indictment of our just system in general, but it really seems like it's you know it doesn't have to. She's focused on the men, right? But like obviously, as a viewer, you're watching it and you're like, "Well, this is just the shitty American system that we have in place. We have terrible health care." We have to work shitty jobs. Yeah. We're, we're mistreated, you know, like, and I think that she is, she's doing that typical thing that we see a lot of average people do, which is they focus the blame on someone that's right in front of them. Yeah. Right. The, the manager, the awful guy that she works with, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's so, placing that anger and that frustration. Yeah. Like really, you, really you, well see her, you see her um, just misunderstanding the entire the entire reason why this is happening, basically, you know, like, um, it's not, um, it's not that she's being punished by men. It's, it's just like, we are punished by the system that we live in. The world punishes us. Yeah. Yeah. So with all that said, she creates a fantasy, right? Yeah. She creates a fantasy that she, that she can like, because these women don't know her. Um, they don't know her past. So she creates this fantasy that she wants to live to embody, you know, who she really wants to be. And there it is. It's Detective Roxanne, you know? Yeah. And she, I wonder if she came up with that persona. She must have come up with that persona before she met the girls, right? Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that they get into that, right? Like a little bit, like they kind of show her like going and there's like a little tiny scene where you see her pulling out the the holster, right? And she gets mm-hmm. the suit and everything, which is really funny that they bring up that she was stealing Law and Order because it's like, Ooh. obviously her idea of a detective is what she's seen on Law and Order. Yes. <laughs> so I thought that, you know, she she's just tired of being 
a victim, as what she sees as a victim, right? Like, obviously, her situation is very different from someone who would be in SVU. Right. Or even the women that are at the, you know, they're in the home for domestic abuse, like, survivors. Like, those women have seen that kind of, like, that kind of anger that can be taken out on them by, like, a, you know, a bitter partner, regardless if it's a man or a woman. I mean, like, let's be honest. Mm -hmm. Both of us are all the genders are capable of abuse and being shitty people. Um, But we like to, you know, we like to be like, this is a man thing, but it's, it's not necessarily a man thing, but they have actually witnessed what it means to be victimized, right. As, as being women. And she has like, she has had bad situations with men and bad interactions with men, but I don't think that she's like suffered that kind of, that kind of abuse, you know? And I think that watching Law and Order gave her an impression that she was a detective. She was as good as a detective in her situation. She was just like Elliot and Olivia from Law and Order. She watched them. She saw what they did. And in this way, she's become a savior to these girls. I don't think she thinks of herself as manipulating them. I think she probably thinks she's saving them. She probably thinks she's doing good for them. Well, she's fulfilling a couple things here that it seems like she wants, right? She's fulfilling her need for a community, but she's also fulfilling her need to be a leader um, because she wants that, right? Like she's working as like the, I don't know if they tell you what her title is at Price Max, but she's been working there for a while and she's obviously like just under that general manager. She's like an assistant manager. She's like the assistant to the general manager. Yeah. Important enough that she wouldn't get fired for shoplifting. Which is yeah. usually how that goes. Not that I have any experience with that or anything. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so she gets to she gets to uh, kill two birds with one stone when she gets these ladies like into that warehouse, you know. Mm-hmm. Now that we know exactly who Roxanne really is, we go back to the wrecked compound where. Kelsey is sitting in the back of a truck reading Hero's Palm. And they have a tense moment. Um, I'm not sure how Kelsey knew that Hero was talking shit, but she knew that Hero was talking shit. Right. She's just calmly reading her palm and she looks up into her eyes and says, I'm not stupid. And uh, I feel like that was important for Hero to look into the eyes of the people who she's so casually cruel to. You know, and realize how her behavior affects people. And Kelsey very breezily accepts her apology, which is actually offered to Hero's credit. That's not really her style. So it was nice of her to actually apologize. Um, And Kelsey explains the Ring of Solomon. I don't know if you guys are into palm reading at all. Something I was really into as a kid. Uh, The the Ring of Solomon is a thing. It's a, a, a small half moon shape at the base of the mound of your pointer finger. So if you look on your left hand, if you have a little crescent shape underneath the uh, the mound of your pointer finger, that is the Ring of Solomon. Now, if you're interested in looking into it, there's a variety of different kinds of Ring of Solomon. There's a double ring, blah, blah, blah. But it essentially means that um, you are marked for leadership, luck and service to mankind but kelsey saves us all the jargon that i just spewed at you guys by saying that it means you will serve mankind and that's interesting 
I just want to point out to everybody too that we were all looking at our hands when Jackie was telling yes. us about this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't, like, even if you don't believe in that shit, look into palmistry because it's interesting. It's fun. It doesn't mean anything. It's just fun. It's also like the whole palm reading thing is to basically set up that there's probably going to be a leadership battle, not between Nora and uh, Roxanne, but between Roxanne and Hero. Oh, I didn't pick that up. That's good. I hope so. Yeah, I definitely see that coming down the pike. You know, I didn't even think about that, but now I'm going to have to go back and rewatch the episode. (laughs) I can pick up on it on any clues. Because it's, it's, you know, they always tell you in cinema, like, keep in mind what happens right before and right after anything. And they her saying she's destined for leadership immediately uh, before Roxanne uh, makes her uh, speech, makes her speech, makes it appear as if those are going to be the two, mm. the two dynamics going forward. Good eye there. That's good. Hell yeah. Oh, there we are. Roxanne gets up in the bed of another truck and gives a speech to her to unite her shattered tribe. She officially names the daughters of the Amazon and looks to Nora for agreement. And Nora nods, hugs Mackenzie close to her, and slips Roxanne's name tag and the truth of her identity right into her pocket. Politics 101, baby. That's right. (laughs) My fire-haired goddess of destruction won again. <laughs> Finally, time for Nora to take a job. I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah, no, she's just a wildly rich and powerful white woman most of her life. Why should that That's change? That's right. You know what? <laughs> you know, you're right. <laughs> we're we're going to, um, you know, try to pull anything out of our pockets here. But, you know, she has red hair, so she's not... I don't know. She would have been a witch in the 1600s. So give her some credit. She what might be Irish for all we know. All right. So that's kind of like not white, right? You know, we have a lot of characters in this show who are not really great people that yes. are still really fantastic and like interesting to watch play out on screen. And I think Nora is like one of the more interesting ones. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I need you guys, all of our listeners, to not take my support of Nora and Hero as support of white women because that's not what this is. <laughs> you know, you're just you're just really compelled though by them because again, they're they're good characters, and that's the thing. Like, it's okay to like watch something and see a flawed character and maybe find parts of yourself in that character and be compelled to watch them. Um, doesn't mean that you're saying like yeah you know i support them fully and everything they do and i right you know i condone all of that you know it's exactly Nora is great Nora is like and she is extremely accurately written for what she is well and she's just she's got her back up against the wall you know it's uh it's interesting to watch even previously privileged people struggle and there's that yeah. schadenfreude in that of course but but to to watch them even if they're bad people to come out on top, it always feels like a little win. Oh, Just it's like totally watching, fun. Like yeah. watching Dexter or Breaking Bad, where you've got a guy who's clearly a bad guy, yeah. but he wins and it feels like a win to you too. Cause he's our protagonist. Eastbound and down is like amazing. For them. <laughs> <laughs> Dana McBride's like signature character. It's like, Oh, I love, I love every time he plays a character. Uh, Everyone. It's, it's always a treat. I love him. 
because he's a shithead, but I'm a shithead too. And sometimes I want shitheads to win, you know? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. We We can all be shitheads, you know? I mean, I think that we draw the line, right? Like for people that are doing hateful very hateful, destructive things. But for the most part, all of us do bad and good things. Like you're, yeah. Like we all have like our issues and you're just Mm -hmm. watch that like on a, like an exaggerated, uh, like level basically. Yes. (laughs) I don't know. You guys, do you have any other, um, any other thoughts about this episode? Missy Pyle is amazing. I love She's her um, physical acting in this. Uh, yes. During the fuckum party, mm-hmm. her dancing, like, well, first of all, beautifully shot. That whole scene I thought was really, really, uh, really pretty. The music but, choice is great too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, when they, when they go to the kids party and it's that music and I was dying laughing. I was like, what is this? <laughs> dance for me, dance for me, dance for me. Whoa. I was like, oh my God. It's, but yeah, I think that she was phenomenal. We get to see her do a lot of like physical acting in this. And she's been such a like, kind of like tough, like stoic figure, you know, you don't really see her do a lot of movement. So yes. to see her like be really emotional and intense in this episode, I was like, so enthralled by her performance. Brilliant performances all around. Again, honorable mention to Elliot Fletcher, my boy, our precious baby. He's found a safe place to go. So Thank God he's out. Tonight. <laughs> I, we just want him to be safe. That's all. We just want Sam to be safe and happy. Oh. Yeah. Protect our boy. Um, so, yeah, next episode of Why the Last Man. Uh, I'm guessing we're going back to Marysville, Ohio. So that should be pretty interesting. Excited to see what's going on with Yorick and everyone there. Ready for a change of scenery for sure. Yes. There's yeah. a lot of Costco. Well, I think, you know, we're getting towards the end of the season, right? So, like, every episode is going to be, like, more focused instead of kind of, like, piecing it together. Yes. Weaving the stories. So, I kind of like that. That means that hopefully next time we'll get, like, a very, like, focused episode. As an aside, off the record, are we going to say anything about the HBO move on Uh... this episode? Mm, let's let, I don't think nothing is official they're still in talks so I don't oh, want to yeah, yeah so I, I think it's best just to like until there's some sort of official word I, I think it's better just to leave it good call and um, then yeah Grim just put the link for it's why the last podcast.com and then uh, why underscore the last pod is the Twitter all right so please visit us and talk to us and tell us what you thought we love you. Thank you for listening to us through this tumultuous time where we don't know what's happening next. So um, we will be back next week with a double episode. So please, please join us then. Um, signing off here. Do you guys have anything you want to plug? Grim, what's your what's your at? At Exile Grim. Lacey, what's your at? At Embalmarama. Mikey, what's your at? Uh, at Mike X Nichols. And as always, I am Easy Treasy signing off for the gang. We love you guys. Be safe. See you next week.